Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, episode 256. This week, we're talking with Bevan Ginder about the importance of missions mobilization. That role is integral with just about anything we could do as a believer. If I'm working with other believers, I'm discipling them. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for stopping by and welcome to the show. We want to see the body of Christ fully connected and engaged in what God's doing. Before we get started, I do want to say a quick welcome to Esther, Angie, Linda, and David, who all recently liked the Engaging Missions Facebook page. If you're watching right now, you know that I'm recording this intro live on Facebook. I'm trying to do a few more live videos, some behind-the-scenes stuff, as well as additional resources. If you haven't already connected, that's facebook.com slash engagingmissions. I'd love to connect with you there and interact a little bit more. And if you do happen to be watching this live, you're welcome to comment. Also, for those of you who have reached out personally, sent notes or emails or messages with encouragement or support or perhaps even just sharing some things that could be better, I want to just say thank you. I really appreciate that. And if you're wondering how you can get the links for the episode resources, the things that we talk about delivered right to your email inbox, I've got a solution for you. You can subscribe to the Engaging Missions email newsletter at engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. Before I introduce our guest, I'd like to take a minute to tell you about our sponsor, Megavoice. With nearly 800 million illiterate adults worldwide, believers are faced with a challenge. How can we empower people to engage with Scripture if they're unable to read? Megavoice manufactures solar-powered audio Bibles in almost 4,000 different languages and dialects so that non-literate people can access Scripture in their heart language. They're highly durable, secure, and completely customizable to fit your audience and location. In South Sudan, for example, missionaries with E3 partners are using these audio Bibles to engage the orally-based culture of the Taposa people. The built-in audio recorder allows the Taposa people to compose and record their own songs to help their community learn and understand the teachings of Jesus. Almost 2 million megavoice audio Bibles have been sent all over the world, including some of the most challenging places. From homeless outreach and refugee response to medical missions and trauma recovery, these small devices allow ministries to maximize their impact. You can learn more by visiting megavoice.com slash engaging missions. And I'd just like to say a huge thank you to Megavoice for sponsoring the show. That's megavoice.com slash engaging missions. This week, we're going to be talking with Bevan Ginder. He is the co-founder of Globalcast Resources and an international mobilization trainer with YWAM Frontier Missions. He's going to be with us to talk about missions mobilization. 
He was a missionary kid who grew up in Zimbabwe. His wife is from Okinawa. They served for about 15 years as part of the leadership team with YWAM in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where they focused on mobilizing, equipping, sending, and sustaining missionaries. So he's got a lot of experience right there. He and his family recently joined a YWAM community in Cambodia that is the training and launching hub for that region. This was a great conversation, a lot of really good stuff. I think you're really going to enjoy this. You're a missions mobilization trainer, and we're going to talk about some specific questions that listeners had as well. But before we get into that, I'm wondering, how did all this get started for you? Yeah, you know, it was great growing up in Africa, and but coming back to the U.S., I, I became a fan of Keith Green. Some of you guys oh. might remember him. Yeah. And his last message before he died in a plane accident was, Jesus commands us to go. And I guess they had been partnering together with Lauren Cunningham and Youth with a Mission. So after he passed away, actually YWAM and Last Days Ministries pulled together a 70-city memorial concert mobilization tour thing. And I was at the one in Hershey Park, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, they played a little footage from Keith Green's last one of his concerts, last concerts in which he introduces Lauren Cunningham in the video. And then the real Lauren Cunningham came out on stage and just invited us all mm. to consider the Great Commission. And during that time, I, I just got a picture, a revelation of what a privilege it would be to play a small part in one of those nations being there worshiping before the throne in Revelation 7-9. And then, yeah, did some short-term mission trips with Teen Missions International. And, and then after paying off my college debt, I was able to do my disciples training school mm. with YWAM at Last Days Ministries Campus and kind of got me going on from there. Wow. So it started on that, I mean, obviously you had a history with cross-cultural ministry because of your parents' yes. time in Africa. But really yes. that, that thing with Lauren Cunningham and Keith Green, that tour was instrumental. That, that to me speaks of God giving you a vision of where he's calling you to. How did that vision then become a passion? Well, one thing I would love to mention that, that I don't know where to fit in this, but I, and I don't know exactly when it happened, but one key event for me was while I was still a young man, I had a dream, literal dream, and an hmm. old scraggly bearded guy was like, pointing his bony finger at me in the dream and shouting at me, blow that trumpet boy. And I woke up with a start. And all I remembered other than the dream was Isaiah 58, which of course I looked it up Mm. and it talks about blowing a trumpet. And I didn't understand what that meant. And it was like at least a decade and a half later, I was going through the Kairos course and I stayed on to become trained as a facilitator for that. And during the training, they brought up Isaiah 58 and said, this is about the prophetic role of mobilizers in the body of Christ. And I was like, oh, that's what that's about. Hmm. Oh, okay. And I had already been functioning that way, but it just really confirmed some things. And so the, the campus I was helping lead definitely had a clear focus on mobilizing, equipping, sending and sustaining workers to the least reached. And, you know, our challenge was to take postmodern youth and help them succeed as a fifth effective missionaries to the unreached. And so that was a lot of great training and, and honing those skills during that time. But then in this last decade, God has kind of shifted our focus to coming alongside of the new workers he's been raising up from new sending countries from Asia, Africa, and Latin America. So that's definitely what has led us to 
to move our whole family here to Banambang, Cambodia, because they definitely have that vision to see Cambodians even launched out. Wow, man, that is, that's, that's great. I love hearing about that kind of stuff. One of the things, it kind of stood out to me, and we, we probably just need to take a second to talk about this. I have, yeah. in my mind, what it means to be a missions mobilizer, but my, my definition is probably different from other people's. Yeah. What do you mean when you talk about missions mobilization? That's a great question. I, I think mobilizers are just leaders or disciples who inspire and mentor, connect individuals to strategic opportunities to live and work in God's purpose. So they might not label themselves a mobilizer, but they really understand that to be a disciple is to obey the commands of Christ. And mm. one of those commands is go make disciples of all nations. So they're actively, intentionally helping anybody in their sphere of influence to find their role in the Great Commission. Could, could be a goer, but there are many other roles that they can help people step into. So I really feel like, you know, we know about kind of, actually, I think it was OMF came up with that great video series of six roles that can change the world. And so they list learn and pray and send and go and welcome and mobilize. And I feel like the mobilizer role is the one that kind of serves all the other ones and helps them find their part in what God's calling them to do in terms of fulfilling the Great Commission. Wow. I'm so glad that you laid those out because I was going to ask you what those different roles are because, like I mentioned, we all kind of have our own opinions and I appreciate you bringing that to the table. How is the role of a mobilizer, or is it even different than giving an altar call, say, at the end of a retreat or a church camp or something like that, and calling people who feel called to missions to step forward? Like, is, is it the same? Is it different? What, what's the deal there? Well, I love to really expand the definition of mobilization and really connect it closely with disciple making and discipleship. Mm. So, of course, that can be, that role is integral with just about anything we could do as a believer. If I'm working with other believers, I'm discipling them. And so I think discipleship is helping that disciple obey the commands of Christ. And, and part of that has to be thinking about and engaging with Jesus's last commission. But it's many times associated with recruiting. How can I get people into my program? How can we get people to do this one thing? But I really think that mobilizers have a bigger role, and that is to also help shift the corporate culture or the worldview of communities to, to have missions thinking kind of be the operating system of why we do what we do. Do you think that every church needs to have someone filling that role of a mobilizer? You know, I think that I would love to see, my dream is actually that <laughs> I would love to see pastors seeing this as a facet of why they are there what it means to be a leader in a local church. But of course, then there can be all kinds of part-time advocates who just hopefully in a life-giving way are working within that community to help them lift their eyes and see what God is doing in the nations and also how the nations are coming to them and, and just really walking with people kind of in a, in a coaching, with a coaching heart to say, I know you love Jesus. Jesus loves the nations. How can we help you? partner with what Jesus is doing here in this city and also in the nations, things like that, kind of asking questions and drawing people out and walking with them as they grow in their understanding. Yeah. 
you've been, you're fairly recently in Cambodia. Before that, you were in Colorado yes. Springs. My perspective yes. is almost entirely American. I live in the U.S. I've never spent any significant time outside the U.S. And my church perspective is also U.S.-based. And I think sometimes being on the inside, I can lose perspective on what's around me because I become accustomed to it. And I'm wondering, what's your take on the current state of vision casting and mobilization within the, the church in the U.S.? That's such an important question. I I think if it's okay with you, I'd love to like start with the good news and then yeah. maybe some not so good news and then end with good news. The So the great news is that the big picture is that when the Protestant Reformation happened, there was about 275 years where we didn't do very much in terms of world missions. And so fortunately, William Carey came along and kind of woke us up. He's praying, reading his Bible and he's looking at the map and he's like, hey, we, we have an obligation to reach the lost. And that sparked things. And since that time, comparatively speaking, we have been doing a lot and there has been so much fruit, amazing, amazing fruit. So great news. Yay. <laughs> I would say the not so great news is that even now today, there's some really sobering realities we need to wrestle with. One survey that kind of was disheartening to me came out of Barna mm -hmm. in March 2018. He, they did the research and found out that 51% of Christians in North America don't know what the Great Commission is. And so, wow, that's a huge mobilization yeah. challenge, you know. In addition to that, I think we have like unclear definitions of what missions is and isn't. And so I think we're, we are tempted sometimes to get frustrated by this. But as mobilizers, I think we just need to kind of keep coming back to asking the question, what is, what is going on in the root systems of the body of Christ in North America, for example? What are, what are they thinking about that's actually leading to the lack of missions fruit rather mm -hmm. than trying to just deal with the symptoms of it? And then back to the good news is that in the in the last decades, we've seen a major shift in the body of Christ. Today, the majority of the believers are located in Asia, Africa and Latin America. So they have increasingly strong and mature national leadership. And now many of those leaders are declaring, hey, we read the same Bible. We have the same mandate to go make disciples of all nations. And we have the capacity to send and sustain our own cross-cultural workers. So, man, it's been amazing. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity said that in 2010, out of the 400,000 international missionaries, nearly half of those were from the global south mm. or the majority world, including Brazil, South Korea, and India. So it's like, man, that is just huge potential there that God is raising up new workers from new sending nations. Wow. Yeah, it's just such... Such incredible stuff. And while you're talking, going through my head, I've got, uh, on the one hand, I've got a little bit of, uh, not not shame, but I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed sometimes by the reality of the, the way my life is ordered. But at the same time, I'm super happy that people from other countries are starting to feel released. And I'm wondering, do, do you see an interconnectedness there? What's your take on that? I think that we as the body of Christ in North America need missions as the context for us to mature and grow up. When my boy starts thinking about mm. other kids, other people, and not just himself and his own needs first, that's evidence of maturity. So 
God is definitely raising up new workers from new places, and he's not frustrated or anxious about <laughs> finding the workers we need to reach the nations. But I am jealous for the body of Christ in North America to actually have this context of reaching the nations as as the way we grow and mature. And yeah, I don't know how to say that differently, but just to to be about the kingdom, even when it doesn't directly benefit us. Yeah. So in, in my mind, I think there's probably a couple pieces. One is there's definitely a mindset of being on mission, even if you're not called to a cross-cultural ministry. But the other part, I think, is also an aspect of actually sending people. If we're to send more people and have a broader perspective, what needs to happen? Well, a key part of all of this that I've just been trying to advocate for is not only trying to identify those who are called to go, but also trying to envision and equip those who are called to send. So some researchers have actually identified Mongolia as the number one per capita sending nation. Mm -hmm. It's very surprising. But somehow when the body of Christ, when churches were planted there, missions DNA was right there at the beginning. And so it's about 200, it takes about 222 believers in Mongolia to produce one cross-cultural goer. Whereas in North America, I think it's over 2,500 Bible-believing believers to produce one cross-cultural goer. And so I would love to see that passion not only be for launching people, but helping the senders find their part in, in getting behind what God is doing and launching people out. Yeah, so we need more senders. <laughs> and the mobilizers, I think, are key to helping the senders find that role and realize, hey, we can we can be a part of the Great Commission even from our own hometown. Yeah, I, I love that. And that's actually... A perfect lead-in to a question that came in from Jan. We, For those listening that didn't know this, we solicited also some questions from listeners about mobilization because we really wanted to make sure that we're delivering something that's going to answer specific questions. And Jan had a question that was around people coming into a church who don't have a background, a church culture background, so to speak. So they don't have a concept of missions. And her question is, what steps can a pastor take to begin providing that context and that foundation to engage people in missions? I think the best time for actually building missions DNA into the life of a new believer is, is at the beginning. So they're, they're just able to grow up thinking, hey, a normal disciple of Jesus is one that thinks about reaching not only my Jerusalem, but Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth, finding ways to get the biblical basis of missions into the curriculum of that disciple-making process. And so people can can really much more readily embrace that from the beginning. It's kind of harder to graft something in later on down the road. Hmm. But I think part of the challenge many times is to find a way to affirm that God loves the people around us just as much as he loves the people over there in the unreached parts of the world. So I I love how Dr. Ralph Winter said, hey, all people are equally lost, Hmm. but not all people are equally needy. 
So uh, as as missions mobilizers, as pastors, we need to kind of really affirm that, hey, yeah, we understand God loves the people in the streets of this city. They're just as lost as the people in the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we affirm that. And yet there's these huge chunks of the planet that have no access to the gospel. They're not equally needy. And so we can we can affirm, yeah, we're going to reach our people here, but also educate and inform people that, you know, 86 percent of the Muslims, Hindus and Buddhists in the world don't know a believer, don't have a Christian friend. I, I would imagine that it's probably easier to take somebody who has a more global perspective and bring it back and also say, you know, by the way, this also matters to your neighbor across the street. It might be easier to do that than to say, yes, your neighbor has needs, but by the way, there's, call it, three billion people in the world who have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel. How, How do you begin to bridge the gap going both directions? That is such a great question, and it's amazing how we tend to be either or. We just drift into yeah. that. I don't know. It's our finiteness or something like that. But I, I love Acts one eight because of this. I think it's often misunderstood. It's often misquoted as first Jerusalem, then Judea, then the uttermost right. parts of the earth, or either Jerusalem, Judea, or the uttermost parts of the earth. So often people will hear, you know, why should we go fly over a mission field to go to a mission field? Let's do this first, and then we'll think about that. So. It's definitely an ongoing leadership challenge to say no. Acts 1-8 is saying both and because God loves the people on the streets of our city as much as he loves the people in the uttermost parts of the earth. They're equally lost. I love how Dr. Ralph Winter says that. He says all people are equally lost, but not all people are equally needy. So he's affirming, yeah, this, this, we agree. People on the streets of our city are equally lost and equally loved by God. So, mm. but God's vision and calling for us is to do both Jerusalem and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then, oftentimes, there's there's pushback of like, well, I can only be at one place at one time. Yeah. Yes, that's true. But when prayer is a part of the equation, it just takes off any geographical limitations. It's, anybody could be call to do anything vocationally and be located anywhere geographically and still be a part of changing Afghanistan. You know, so that is just, I think, the ongoing vision casting process that we as leaders need to do, say, to say, we affirm this, yes, both locally and global. And yet, did you know that not all people are equally needy? Did you know that 86% of all the Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists in the world don't have access to a Christian friend, don't mm. have access to the gospel in any way that that makes sense to them. And so just kind of holding those two things in tension can really be a part of helping us be both and Christians, be Acts 1-8 Christians. And of course, the nations are coming to our cities many times, and so we can help people to not be afraid and to be welcomers where they really reach out and reach out to our cross-cultural neighbors. I love how the Good Samaritan story, you know, is a cross-cultural story mm. where the Good Samaritan was reaching out to another yeah. people group, which was actually his enemy at that time. So we have no framework for avoiding <laughs> cross-cultural neighbors if we're going <laughs> to call ourselves disciples of Jesus. As as we're talking about this, one of the things that is kind of rattling around, and we've talked about this a little bit, is the idea that sometimes our perspectives can be a bit myopic and that 
perhaps there's a broader view that we need to see in the church in order to to more fully embrace and partner with and send people? What are your thoughts on how we can approach that? Yeah, such an important question. And it's a, it's a challenging one because this goes really deep into worldview and theology and definitions of even how we think about church. And I think that many have a, a perspective on what we mean when we say the word church that only legitimizes one structure, the local church structure. Mm-hmm. And yet Dr. Ralph Winter talked about modalities and sodalities and how we need both of these things to reach the world. And this is, again, some of the fruit. I love the Reformation of Martin Luther and all that happened there. But some of the fruit of what happened back then was that he he reformed one structure and threw out the other one. And so we have this that impacts how we think about each other and partner with each other. And another facet of what has impacted our partnership is actually more on the mission side of things in that we've had a mindset of like, hey, we just we use the word partnership, but we're actually just expecting local church leaders to stay in a passive role and just mm. send us money and their best people with very little accountability. And so that, of course, has impacted this the the framework and the trust that we need for healthy partnership. And so I think we really need encouraging models. And there are today more encouraging models of true partnership roundtable discussions where there's equal weight sharing and ownership even of the missionaries as they go out. So they're not kind of being lost you know, to yeah. the local church structures at all. And so I, I really want to see more of this kind of partnership going forward because this is what we need to plant when we go to the nations is not just one structure, but help those local churches partner together and actually start agencies of their own Mm. to launch workers cross-culturally. Yeah. I love that. And one of the things I, I gotta admit, I kind of cheated. I poked around on your website a little bit for those listening. It's globalcastresources.com. And it keys right into a video that really caught my attention. You you had done a video where you talked about creating a sense of ownership and mm. how that really is important. And I'm wondering, can you share with us some practical ways as a community of both senders and goers can facilitate that ownership within our churches and within our communities? Such a great question. Thank you so much. I I've really discovered some wisdom, I feel, that comes out of community development principles. Now, mm. these, are, these are definitely things that most people associate with agricultural projects. But really, if you step back from it, they are ways to create buy-in and ownership in a community. Rather than coming in from the outside as an expert and trying to tell people what to do, you come in as a coach and a Barnabas asking questions and drawing out what God has already been doing in that community and allowing them to hear from God themselves, what he is asking of them. And so, you know, we didn't bring God into that unreached people group. We didn't bring God into that local church. He's already at work in all of these places. And it's just a matter of coming alongside of that and actually honoring the dignity of those and the capacity of those local leaders to discover what God is saying to them and just, you know, letting being an agent of feeding back what they're Mm. saying and resourcing them and walking alongside of them. That definitely creates, it's such more ownership when rather than somebody from the side came in and said what you guys should be doing. Often we don't, our walls come up and our hearts close a little bit to that approach. Yeah. 
that that sounds to me like it's a a harder and a slower process than coming yes. in with an agenda. How yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. How, how do people like me who grew up in a culture that's where success is defined by the quantity of things that you get knocked off your task list and how much you can do, how do we begin to reframe the rhythms of our lives to allow for creating space for people to catch vision and gain ownership of their own accord rather than us manipulating them or trying to, like, how how do we do that? Such a great question. I don't know if I have a great answer for it, but I, as a leader, we've all been learning, hey, leaders don't just create followers, leaders create leaders. Mm. So if I keep in mind that my end goal is not just to have more people dependent on me for for advice and, and what to do next, but that I actually want to develop capacity in those people that they can take responsibility for their own lives and launch new ministries, then I, then it's going to mandate a slower process of actually saying, hey, what do you think? Mm. Try it. Did it work? No? Okay, what could you learn from this? And actually really believing that the Holy Spirit in that person is a better teacher than I am mm. and that they have a capacity that can grow if I will not just fix things and and shoot for immediate results, but wait for the longer term development that can happen. Yeah, I don't know. I guess what motivates me is keeping in mind that long term dream of having more leaders rather than just more followers who do what I tell them to do. Wow, I, I love that. I'm, I'm noticing that we're getting pretty close to being out of time. For those listening, If you're looking for more, we probably didn't give you everything. And so I'm going to point you to Bevan's website, which is globalcastresources.com. There are videos upon videos upon videos and resources and trainings available there. If you're looking to grow in this or looking for answers, I'm going to point you to that because he's got a lot of them there. That's globalcastresources.com. Great bunch of resources. We'll have that linked up for you in the show notes, along with other ways to connect with Bevan and the the things that we've talked about. Bevan, as we tie a bow on this, I'm wondering, just one last question. How can we, as a broad group of people listening to this, how can we best pray for you? Thank you. I would really welcome prayer as I try to continue to develop training for majority world mobilizers. Mm. I really feel like in the world today, we have workers from Asia, Africa, and Latin America who are called, they're trained, they've got character, what they don't have is senders. Mm. And so I think one of the key pieces then is to actually develop leadership, mobilization leadership in majority world contexts that can help people help the senders engage with these guys because then we'd have an explosion of already amazing and effective new workers if we could just have more senders from places that have been historically just a mission receiving missionaries only and so i'm I'm in the process of trying to develop training for those guys and i'd I'd love prayer for that okay yeah good stuff for those listening i'm going to encourage you like every time pause the recording Pray for Bevan and for the majority world that those leaders would raise up, that they would begin to see themselves as senders and goers and that they would be able to walk in the calling that God has given them. Take a minute to do that. If you're like me, you're probably going to forget if you don't do it now. So I just encourage you to do that. We'll have all of the resources and everything linked up in the show notes. Bevan, I want to say one more time, a huge thank you. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. 
Uh, it's really my privilege. Those are amazing questions. I'd like to say one more huge thank you to Bevan Ginder for being with us and also to you for joining us. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope that you did as well. Make sure that you check out Megavoice at megavoice.com slash engaging missions. I'd like to say thank you to them for sponsoring this episode and helping make this possible. I very much appreciate it. That's megavoice.com slash engaging missions. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Bevan Ginder. You'll want to check those out because that's the best place for you to find out where you can connect with him to learn more about what he does, as well as any of the resources that we talked about. As a note, I will be continuing to do more Facebook Lives, or at least that's the plan. You'll find those at facebook.com slash engagingmissions. And if you want to make sure that you have the show notes with the links and everything delivered to your email address, you'll find the link for that at engagingmissions.com slash subscribe, which incidentally is also where you can go to subscribe to the show if you want to have the show delivered to your favorite podcast app or if you want to get the show notes in your email inbox or both of those, engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. You're going to want to make sure that you do that because next time we're going to be hearing from Anne Heinrichs about the transformational power of short-term missions over the years, and in particular, dealing with one relationship. She wrote a book about it. We talked about the book as well as about her life. Really powerful stuff. You're not going to want to miss that. Engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. And if you enjoyed this or you know somebody who you think might benefit from it, I'd like to ask you to help us spread the word take the time to send that email or make that phone call or make that social posting to get the word out there because you helping us spread the word might be what it takes for somebody to receive the encouragement or the resources to be equipped, to be challenged, to get what they need in order to keep going. So I'd encourage you to do that. Thanks so much. I really look forward to connecting with you in a couple of weeks. I really think you're going to enjoy this time with Anne.